Well, this morning, you got to chat to each other, to encourage each other, to stir up spiritual gifts, um, to um, kind of connect again as a, a life group, um, and really lay the foundation for tonight and tomorrow. Because tonight we're going to speak on spiritual warfare. You up for it? Yeah. <laughs> a big, heavy, juicy topic for for um, church weekend away. But I really feel it is a commissioning weekend. God's got big things for you. And he wanted to stir up the gifts in you. And now he wants to teach us a bit about spiritual warfare. And... Um, how to be strong in him. We heard tonight all about freedom. Freedom. And we are the free people, but often we aren't walking in freedom, or else we need to bring freedom to other people. And at the beginning of the year sometime, uh, we are in the church, New Life Church, Tunbridge Wells, which is a New Frontiers church in Kent. And um, I go to the staff prayer meeting, And one of the elders, he came in, you know, kind of with a chuckle, and he said, he said, in my quiet time I read the funniest verse, and I'm so glad that we're not in the Old Testament anymore, he said, that we're in the New Testament, and isn't it glorious, and so on and so on. We said, well, read the verse. And I mean, it's a scary verse in the Old Testament. And once, and I'm telling you the story first, because it is quite a scary verse, Uh, But once he'd read it, we rejoiced that we were in the new covenant and the new, um, you know, that Jesus has come and lifted burdens off and so on. Because this comes from Jeremiah 48 verse 10. And it says, (laughs) A curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work. (laughs) A curse on him who keeps his sword from bloodshed. I mean, that's quite a... That's quite a hectic verse. And um, we were just so grateful that Jesus has come and broken every curse. And we don't have to do the Lord's work now. We do it because we want to, but not because we have to, and so on and so on. So we spoke it through and we rejoiced. It was also like one of the uh, staff members said, but talking about swords and blood is a bit heavy for English people. We don't talk about such things on a Tuesday morning and so on. But you know, we went on with the prayer meeting in a totally different direction. But I couldn't get away from this. Because I thought, yeah, in the Old Testament there was a curse on someone who was lax in doing the Lord's work. It's, we're not under any curse anymore. Therefore, how with joy should we be doing the Lord's work? How with joy should we be getting blood on our sword? And I couldn't get away from the blood on the sword. And everybody's praying and all I'm thinking is blood on the sword. Blood on the sword. And three-quarter way through praying, I kind of said, well, I've got to go right back to that verse and you can hear everybody oh boy but I said you know on a daily basis we should have blood on our swords because we do not fight flesh and blood but we have an enemy we really have an enemy 
And on a daily basis, there should be actually the picking up of the sword to bring bloodshed in the enemy's uh, territory, in the demonic realm. And it hasn't left me all year, this blood on the sword. Because... We are in a battle. You know, we read about and we hear about what's happening in Iraq and, you know, Palestine and Israel and so on. And that's real face war. And we might think, well, in the UK, it's all quiet, really. And we're doing all right. But, you know, though there might not be that kind of physical war here, we are in a battle And because maybe things have got comfortable, it's quite nice here in England. It's quite nice. Compared to where we come from in South Africa, it's quite nice. But in the process, we forget who we are, and maybe we forget that we are at war. With an enemy, the demonic realm hates us. Am I allowed to speak like this? Is it okay? Yeah? God loves us so much, but we have an enemy. With, you know, one thinks of the nastiest person. We are, we are hearing terrible things come from uh, Iraq, the stories. And you think, how can people be like that? Well, when you think of the enemy as in the devil and his angels... The people we're talking about in Iraq are still savable. There is still, even in their darkest moments, there is a thread of humanity we can get hold of. And we sometimes think that the enemy, our spiritual enemy, is like that. There's not a, a thread of compassion. He is darkness. There's nothing, nothing that is good. Nothing it's just pure evil, which we can't even imagine because we, our minds can't take in evil. And we have an enemy like that who is after us behind our back, a roaring lion seeking who he can devour um, on a daily basis. But we sang about freedom and we spoke about freedom because we've been set free, but we've actually got to walk in the freedom It's a choice thing to walk in the freedom that God has given us and to help other people into freedom. So in 1 John 3 it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Did he do it? Yeah, he did. John 10, 10, I'm going to give a, a few verses just for us to have some scripture backing. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Anybody got full life here? Just let me digress quickly. This morning, when we were encouraging each other and talking on spiritual gifts, do you know we were doing spiritual warfare? Do you know that every time we sing to God, we are doing spiritual warfare? Sometimes we may think spiritual warfare is Satan in the name of Jesus. 
down or whatever. That is two-fifths two fifths of it. Three-fifths is doing what the Bible says. It is worshipping God. It is encouraging each other and so on. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Any children of God here? Yeah. Yeah? And you know, every time you say yes, that's spiritual warfare. I want to bring, you know, it's basic stuff I'm going to teach you, but so powerful because when I've mentioned spiritual warfare in other churches or in other contexts, people have said, oh, but we don't like that. That's all about demons and frothing and, you know. (laughs) But that's somehow what people think. Spiritual warfare is about big demon things. Meantime, spiritual warfare is when you get up in the morning, you say, hello, Lord. Yeah? Do you see? That is spiritual warfare. And once we know this, you do it all the more. Because you're overcoming. This is kingdom stuff. This is actually taking the kingdom. That belongs to our God anyway. And he has assigned it to us. That's taking it. Just by being positive, that's easy enough, isn't it? Yeah? 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war. For the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Oh, I want to growl. Didn't it bring out a growl in you? We are actually equipped to bring down strongholds. Anybody here, if you have been become a, ch- a follower of Jesus in the past month, you have enough power to bring down any stronghold as of, say, me who, or I who have been a Christian for 30 years. Same power. That's amazing. Any of us sitting here can say, I break the power of the stronghold of whatever over you in the name of Jesus and it will be done. Doesn't that make you want to just go and pray for people? To set people free? It's our right. It's actually our inheritance. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for us to be free of sin, to clean us up from the inside out. Um, But he also died and left us an inheritance. Now, I used to think of inheritance as when I die and then my inheritance is stored away in heaven. and And it is. But while on earth, I have an inheritance, and so, so have you. Because whatever the Holy Spirit has put in me is my inheritance. And therefore, I want to walk in my inheritance. If a lawyer or an attorney or whatever uh, phones me and says, somebody has left you 500,000 pounds in their will. That sounds nice, eh? It could be prophetic. <laughs> Um, come to the office and we will give, you know, hand it over to you. I'm not going to sit at home thinking now, I wonder if I'm worthy. I wonder if I, I mean, who am I? That, you know, who am I that I should get 500,000? I didn't do much for that person. And they left me that. Let me tell you, 
no matter what, I will be in the car and I will be at the office and I will be signing, saying, give my 500,000 and so would you. (laughs) And yet Jesus left us this deposit of such power and we say, yeah, but it's not me, it's for someone else and uh, I'm not good enough. I don't know the Bible so well, and so on and so on. And we actually talk ourselves out of our 500,000 pounds. And we've got a treasure much worth much more than that. Luke 11, verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides the spoils. I want to read that one again. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house. When we're dealing with the enemy, he's like a strong man guarding, whether it's strongholds in our minds or whatever, he guards it. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, doesn't that bring saliva to the mouth? (laughs) It does. It it just makes me think, whoa, I know somebody stronger. And so do you. And when you send send the stronger one in, he overpowers and divides the spoils. So I've prayed for many people And I've got some of the spoils because you get so blessed when you pray for someone else and watch them walk free that you feel rich because we send the stronger man in to actually break the holds on minds or on sicknesses or generational things or whatever and we inherit richly. You agree with me? Matthew 28, and this one you know. You know we quote this over and over, you know the Great Commission, over and over. But it's like, we used to have a pastor called Simon Pettit, and some of you would remember him, his name. Um, And he would say, you know what we do with the Bible? We read it and we thread it through our eyeballs. So you read it, and you thread it through the other one, and it's gone. And this... It was a joke. (laughs) You may laugh. (laughs) Matthew 28 is one of those thread through the eyeballs thing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, said, said Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. It's like, I've got all authority, said Jesus. Now you go and go and do this. We think, but can I? Am I good enough? But I didn't go to Bible college. And what? And you know, we are actually not taking hold of the warfare that's put it right in front of us. When one reads scripture and says, "All authority in heaven is given to Jesus," therefore it's now my delegated authority. And you say, "Yes, that's spiritual warfare." Did you realize this? Yes, <laughs> we got one yes. But it's just something that I find very powerful. 
that um, it's not all about, uh, I will say this over and over, it's not all about screaming and shouting and driving our demons. It is about how we live. How positive are we? Is there fear? What about, you know, these things that plague us? They have no right. They actually have no right. Um, Or, I'm not good enough. Watch Watch my body language. I'm not good enough. And we, in the spirit, we walk around like this. Even though our backs may be straight to people, inside we all bent. I'm not good enough. And the devil says, wah, ha, ha, ha. Which brings a growl in me too. And so it's a matter of, now hold on, I am good enough. I'm good enough. Are you good enough? Yes. That's spiritual warfare. Just saying yes is spiritual warfare. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and then of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, to the very end of the age. You know, I've prayed for people, people have come to, for, to me for prayer to say God has left them. And you might have prayed for people who have come to you to say, God has left me. But he can't leave, because he says I will be with you always, but a lie has stepped in. So it's actually to go take people back to the Bible. When someone comes to me with that, I say, here's the Bible, show me where that is. That, this is my spiritual warfare. This is how I counsel. It is, well, I, I'm just nobody. Show that to me in the Bible. If you can show me, I will pray that into you. And so a lot of my counseling method is actually tweaking theology with this and that's spiritual warfare reading the Bible is spiritual warfare because it's a battle to read it huh? sometimes you don't want to pick it up in the morning because maybe Facebook is too important or whatever you know, having one's Bible on this thing is quite dangerous because even while you're reading the Bible, you know, it's Facebook and Twitter and all that's going at the top. It's going round and round. Your eyes go up to read that. But, but as we read the Bible, that is spiritual warfare. And that doesn't mean you're going to know it pat off. Because as you get to read, even if you don't, someone asked you, what did you read this morning? I don't know. I mean, that happens to me. I've got no idea. Yeah, got no idea. I read. No idea. And you think... (laughs) But three weeks later, somebody speaks to me and in my head pops what I read. Because the Holy Spirit brings it to life again. So we never waste. We never waste reading the Bible. Even if you are bored at the time, do some reading. I'm being truthful now because sometimes the Bible, it depends what mood one's in. It can be so dry and boring and you read and it means nothing and a week later you read the same thing and it's alive Mm. Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology I've got to bring a bit of Wayne Grudem in you know but I just found this very important 
if we really believe the scriptural testimony to the existence and activity of demons, and if we really believe that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, then it would seem appropriate to expect that even today, when the gospel is proclaimed to unbelievers, and when prayer is made for believers who have perhaps been unaware of this dimension of spiritual conflict, there will be a genuine and often immediate recognizable triumph over the power of the enemy. Can I read that to you again? Because it's quite wordy. If we really believe the scriptural testimony to the existence and activity of demons, are we in a war? Yes. So are there angels of darkness? Yes. Okay. And if we really believe the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, yes? Then it would seem appropriate to expect that even today, when the gospel is proclaimed to unbelievers, and when prayer is made for believers who have perhaps been unaware of this dimension of spiritual conflict, there will be a genuine and often immediate recognizable triumph over the enemy. So whenever we pray for someone, there should be in our mind, I am praying something is going to happen. Not a passing someone on to someone else because they are more anointed. Or, uh, I wonder if that worked. (laughs) Yeah? You pray for someone, I wonder if that worked. I wonder, wonder if anything happened. It's to know that because he lives in us, these hands are so powerful. Because wherever I put my hand, the Holy Spirit flows through to that person and something happens. I expect it to happen because the Bible says that we must pray for the sick and they will be healed. It won't always be in the way we expect. But... No matter who we pray for, and even if you think nothing's happened, the person just stands. Something will have happened because the Holy Spirit, through me or you, has touched that person. And therefore we should be so quick to be able to pray with people because we're bringing healing in some way or another. And so that's what Wayne Grudem is saying. If we really believe, if we really believe that we are doing spiritual warfare when we pray for people, we will expect something to happen. Are you up for that? Because we're going to do some praying after this. We should expect... Oops. We should expect this to be the normal part of Christian life. I think what I've... Because I worked in the townships in Cape Town... And I had hundreds of people come to me hungry and uh, sick and so on. And they would just come and say, "Um, what can you do for us? How can you help us? And I used to think, I can do nothing. And it wasn't a spiritual, I can do nothing. It was, I can do nothing. I've got nothing. Lord, you put me here. What are you going to do? And I would watch him do the most amazing things because that's what he does. And it was so normal to me that I'm told hardly anybody about it. Even coming to the UK now, I go to churches where 
various New Frontiers churches would send teams over to Cape Town to come to the townships with me. And I go into a church and someone will say, Oh, do you remember when we prayed for so-and-so and that person saw? And I said, say, at which time was that? Because it wasn't a big thing. Because it was normal. It had to happen because um, Jesus said. And so Johnny Miller... He came on a team. You people, any of you heard of Johnny Miller? He's in the Birmingham uh, church, uh, church Central. And he came on a team with long dreadlocks down to there. We used to call him Johnny Dread, you know. <laughs> and, um, and he came, and they came for about two weeks on team and went. When I went to Church Central a few years ago, he said to me, do you remember what happened? And I said, mm-hmm, no. <laughs> And he said, and then of course I remembered, we went into a shack where a man had, was lying in bed. He had broken his back. He'd fallen off scaffolding. Um, he was a builder. Had broken his back. Couldn't walk. That means no food because there's no signing on job centers or whatever. There's no backup like that in South Africa. And, um, and so I had the team with me and I said to the man well can we pray with you? Yes so we prayed and we prayed healing and I said well try sitting up so we did and for me that was normal we prayed, he has to sit up (laughs) and and then I said well now we're going to pray some more and then I want you to swing your legs out of the bed and so we prayed and he swung his legs out and then I had to send everybody out because he had to put his trousers on. And then the next minute he was standing on his feet and then we prayed and I said, uh, walk to the door. So he walked to the door, he opened the door and then he ran. And I stood at the door saying, come back! <laughs> I never saw him that day. We had to go to the next house because he was healed. And the next day I went back and he wasn't there. He was back at work. Now I'd forgotten this because it was what we do. Isn't this what we do? You think about it. South Africa is not different to the UK. And if you realize that eight and a half years ago we came, Greg and I, I was on the staff of the church in Cape Town, we came over here for six months to serve two New Frontiers churches, then we were going home. Eight and a half years later, we are still here. So booked up. Now why would God do that? Take someone who's worked in the townships, in the sand and the flies and the whatever, fought apartheid and so on, and then he brings us here, if there's not something going on here, something he wants the church to know. Come on, church. So Johnny Miller said, do you remember? And I said, oh, yes. He said, oh, that was fantastic. Now to me it was, it's just normal. And this is what Wayne Grudem is saying. This should be the most normal thing. Now that was spiritual warfare. So to me, spiritual warfare is part of the gift of healing. Do you see? 
We are healing people in all kinds of ways when we actually rescue them, whether it is somebody's back that gets healed or whether it is somebody who has a mindset broken over them, a stronghold. Yeah. It is our right. There's no special people. We have anointings for things and giftings. But actually, when push comes to shove, we can all do this at different levels or whatever. And so I just feel part of what I do, the commissioning is, come on church. I absolutely love the church because I've seen the power of the church and what the church can do to change a nation. And, um, and God wants to use you, but I mustn't go into what I'm going to say tomorrow. But God wants to use you mightily in this next season. Holy Spirit, come. Whoa. Holy Spirit, come. Do you know we settle for second best because we get used to the comfort blanket that is around us with all our little habits and, um, and the things, you know when you're so used to something, we get so used to things and the way we are that um, we, we get a bit scared of how we're going to be if that comfort blanket is gone make sense? Our habits. But this is just me. How many people have come to me to to say, but this is just me. I'm like this. I'm just a negative person. I just am. And it becomes like a, a different sword in the hand. It's like we stab ourselves with a sword that we should be stabbing the enemy with. And, um, and God wants to break that over us because it's not right. And also, if we are going to preach the gospel and see people saved in Solial and wider, it's a matter of, we're not going to be perfect till Jesus comes, but we're going to give it a jolly good go. Do you see? And put our heads up and believe what the Bible says, instead of how we feel. So I had a man in the townships come, and he wasn't part of our church, but he used to love coming on his crutches to come and interpret for me from English into Kosa, if you can say that, you're very good. Masiteta isi Kosa. I speak isi Kosa. Anyway, and he would come and interpret for me, and we would see people healed and so on, and he would be interpreting. And then one day I turned to him and said, why don't we pray for you? And he backed away on those crutches. And he said, don't you come near me. (laughs) Because he said, if you people pray for me, I will be healed. Then I won't get my disability check. Now you see, in South Africa, there aren't lots of money for everybody. But if you have something wrong with you, you get the tiniest amount every month. But that tiny amount made him richer than some of the other people who didn't have jobs. And I learned something. Because he didn't want to be healed, 
because that money was regular. He, he didn't have the faith to believe that if God heals him, God will carry him and give him a job. And I never saw him again after that. He didn't come near us to interpret at all. But I learned a massive thing there about spiritual warfare. It was, we've got to come ready to be healed, ready to be changed, ready to take off this comfort blanket that we have around ourselves to protect us and actually ask God for discernment and words of knowledge about the people we're praying for so that we will know what is going on in their minds. So I'll be praying for somebody and while I'm praying I'm saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I don't assume that I know, by the way, because how will I know? We are spiritually led and therefore we've got to connect with the Holy Spirit when praying for people. And, and so I will be praying, but all the time I'm saying, Lord, what's going on here? What must I do now? You can hear the, ah, what must I do now? And things drop in my head, or I find my mouth saying something, or my hands start to do something, and I think, it's very good to watch God at work, because I would never have thought to do that. And that, that's what makes it so exciting. But the words drop in my head, words of knowledge. And so it's even an expectation of, the word, of words of knowledge to drop into one's head. And you know something, they do into everyone's really. But we get, you know, that's only me. Or, oh, there I go again. But I've had to learn that even the most uncomfortable word comes in my mind and I say to somebody, well, you can smack me if you want to, but I'm just going to say this word and you see if you can identify with it. And nine times out of ten the person says, I can. And you can pray. The one time they will say, no, 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 no. But I've learned by now that what I hear is normally quite correct, then I will put it in another way. Do you see? Because we always want the person to maintain their dignity. It's all about dignity. And so I'll put it in another way, in a totally using, or maybe leave it for a while, go and pray about something else and then come back, but not use the word, but explain it in a different way. And the person says, oh, it's like that, yes. And I think... Yes, but it's not, I've made this big mistake. Sometimes we do make mistakes, and that's okay. But even if you think, oh, well, I've made a mistake, try another way when praying for someone to get them free. Do you understand that? Yeah? While I was looking at my notes again this afternoon, are we looking at the time? While I was doing my notes, I just felt God remind me of something. And, and this comes from Joshua. And it means an odd thing, but Joshua and the Gibeonites and the deception. And maybe there's some people who need to be healed here tonight where you think you've made a big mistake and, nothing, and you'll never, you know, it's, you've messed up or whatever. But with the Gib- I'm not going to read it, I'll just tell you the story. The Gib- Gibeonites came 
Joshua was supposed to kill all the people around who, who weren't of God. And then the Gibeonites heard about this. And they came and they lied and they said, Well, Joshua, we've come from a far-off country. Look at our shoes. They're all broken and worn out. You all know the story. And the bread, look how moldy it is. Meantime, they just lived in the town next door, you know. And then the Bible says, And they didn't inquire of the Lord. And they made a treaty, a covenant, with the Gibeonites, to keep them alive. And then of course they found out their mistake and Joshua said to them, why did you lie? And they said, well, we were scared that you would kill us. What happens next is the Gibeonites let Joshua know that kings around them were coming to kill them because they'd made a treaty with the Israelites. And the Gibeonites write to Joshua, send a man to say, Um, Joshua, will you come and help us? Now, Joshua could have left the Gibeonites to these other kings because the kings could have killed Joshua's mistake. Let's wipe them out. Yeah? But Joshua said, no, I made a covenant. I have to keep it. And went and fought the kings for the Gibeonites. And if you go further, it says, and the sun stands still for for Joshua. You see, Joshua had made a covenant with the Gibeonites, which he honored. Now, Joshua had made a mistake. He hadn't inquired of God, and it was a mistake. And sometimes I do quite a bit of marriage counseling, and people will come to me and say, we've made a mistake, we married the wrong person. And this is just uh, when... Or if you know anybody who is saying this, and maybe this is something, maybe for some of you, somebody's going to come to you and say this, we think we've made a mistake. Well, you know, Joshua made a mistake. And God saw the mistake, but God looked at how Joshua handled the mistake afterwards. Do we honor? So I would say to somebody who's complaining about their marriage, married the wrong person, if you think you've made a mistake, I will take them to the Gibeonites and say, if you think you've made a mistake, you've made a covenant. God looks to see how you walk after the mistake and he honors you for doing the right thing. This makes sense. It's quite powerful. Because the sun stood still for Joshua, because he did the right thing, the blessing was so big on Joshua that the sun stood still and God listened to a man, which is the first time that God had done this. That is incredible. And so, even in this room, if you think you've blown it in some way, it could be work, a relationship, uh, whatever, and maybe it, it Maybe you haven't blown it, but you think you have, you feel you have, and you feel something's lost and gone, I'll never retrieve it. It's actually to go to God and say, no, hold on, I'm so sorry. I don't want to break any covenant with any with myself and you. I don't want to um, 
you know, with work, I don't want to stop doing something, I don't, you know, you, you get what I'm getting at. It's how you sort out afterwards. And so I just think there's somebody here, or one or two people, who feel they've blown it. And maybe you have. But God says, how you handle it thereafter, is there forgiveness that needs to be done? Is there apologies that need to happen? Is there something... You see, this is all spiritual warfare. Is there something that you need to do to make right? Because when you do, God opens the door of blessing all over you. So that's just a little tip for when you're doing marriage counseling or for just for yourselves in making decisions and so on. It's okay to make mistakes, by the way. It's how we handle them afterwards. Do you see the freedom? It's okay to make mistakes. Father God, I want to ask that you come in power. Father, I spoke about this man getting out of bed and walking. We are those who do that. Father God, I want to ask... That's that spiritual warfare will turn in people's minds to actually who we are and become the positive more than are there so many demons around. That all fear will be broken over us. I want to ask, Father, for whoever feels they've made a mistake, that something will be sorted tonight. I want to ask, Lord, that there will be forgiveness given because you see when we have unforgiveness it opens the door massively to the demonic because Jesus told the story about the king and one of his servants owed him money and the king said okay you don't need to pay me anymore and then somebody lesser than the servant came to the servant and said, I can't pay. And what does the servant who was just forgiven puts the other one in jail? And when the king heard this, he said, now you put that one out where there will be torment. Now that doesn't mean, you know, we lose our salvation and all that. But as soon as we open the door to unforgiveness, and unforgiveness is a tricky thing, because so often we've been harmed. I work quite a bit with uh, women who've been raped. And I have to walk them through forgiveness of sometimes the most hair-raising things. Terrible. And I have to bring them to a point where they will forgive the rapists. That is hectic. But you see, it's about setting them free When we forgive, we set ourselves free. Because sometimes we think, if I forgive, that means I'm saying they did nothing wrong. That's not true. Forgiveness is about us setting ourselves free so that the other person hasn't got a bond to us anymore. The very thing that people have done, we bind ourselves to. So I had a woman who uh, I spoke on forgiveness at a conference and many people came forward to be healed. And 
you know, I'd finished, had lunch, uh, packing up to go, and a woman came up to me and she said, I don't like you. (laughs) Okay. And she said, uh, because you spoke about forgiveness, and I wanted to get up and walk out, because you don't know my story. I was raped by ten men very violently nine years ago and they landed in jail because it was so violent. She said, I got saved two years ago and um, she said, I hate those men. They walk through my head every night for nine years when I want to sleep. They walk through my head. And, uh, And she said, I have a son. And I don't know who he is. And I love him, but I can't. I love him, but I can't. Because there's this something. And the boy's name was Oscar. Anyway, I had to walk, it took ages to walk her through the forgiveness. Because I asked her to picture each face. And to speak to each person and say, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. Well, it was through gritted teeth. And I said, that's okay. You can speak through gritted teeth because it's not about, you know, we wait for the emotion. When I feel better, then I will forgive. But we've got to be biblical. Jesus said, bless those who curse. Bless and do not curse. Forgive. And so through gritted teeth, this woman forgave being biblical. Not going by her feelings, which were very angry. But um, being biblical... Well, she went through all ten who had been marching in her head. And, and then I said, now, give them to Jesus. And, um, and she said, I've given them. And I said, I don't think you have. You're still holding on to one or two. And he's like, how do you know? But you just, God gives you that sense that something's not right. Anyway, eventually her hand was empty. And then I said, well... With an empty hand, God leaves nothing empty. Holy Spirit, fill this hand. And now come and bring healing in here. Well, this woman screamed so loud. You know, one of those hair raising. And she shouted. Now her little nine-year-old boy wasn't there. Um, She shouted, Oscar, I love you. For the first time, whoa, she could shout her love for her little boy. And she went home, changed. And you see, we have that spiritual warfare. Do you see? Because as soon as we don't forgive, we are saying to the enemy, you can torment me. We open a door, even a crack, and he puts his hands in, and he torments in here. And so the very thing or people who have harmed us or who we have harmed, actually we've tied to them. And as soon as we forgive, it's broken. And then we can go and help other people to forgive. That makes sense. It's so very powerful. Um, I think unforgiveness is one of the big uh, things that hold the church back. Because it's my right, it's my right. Do you know what they did to me? And so tonight, with the spiritual warfare, I'm not talking about demons. It's, it's not that night. This is the equipping 
This is this is spiritual warfare. If one thinks, well, it's you know, it's a bit of healing, and I do a bit of counselling, and you can take it or leave it. When I say, when I counsel, it's spiritual warfare. Oh, it makes me want to go for it. When I pray, it's spiritual warfare. You see, I want blood on my sword. Because when I counsel somebody, I get blood on my sword. When I see them walk out and something's changed, like, yes. When I speak the name of Jesus to someone, blood on my sword. When I sing, when I encourage somebody, when I choose to do what is right, blood on my sword. When one wants to go on the internet and go into things that one shouldn't go into, as one says, I will not do it. Blood drips on the sword. And if we can think like that, it changes one's whole way of thinking about spiritual warfare. It's a positive thing. It's, it's um, an overcoming. It's taking the territory that belongs to us. Yeah? Do you want blood on your sword? Are we, allow- are we allowed to talk in England about blood on the sword? <laughs> Somebody said to me, we got tired of the Second World War, so we don't talk about war anymore. And you see, with mindsets like that, I understand it with a physical war, but what happens is it dulls us into the actual war that we as Christians are in, and therefore we walk with baggage. I can tell you story after story after story of freedom come to people from baggage, from abuse. There's so many people who've been abused. And as you know, the TV is now full of this one and that one and this one and that one. And those are the famous people. But around are just normal people who need healing so much. We can do it. And that is our spiritual warfare. Isn't it exciting? Do you find it exciting? It is scary because it's realms that we think, oh, I don't want to go there. But it's realms that belong to us. And as soon as we step out, wherever I put my feet, he will give me the land. And so it's time for feet to go out.